Genesis 1, 26 through 30. Then God said, let us make man in our own image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all, over all of the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, to fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food, and to every beast of the earth, and everything that has breath, the breath of life. I have given you a green plant for food, and it was so. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. The cuteness factor just went down on the stage now that I'm up here. So summertime means a little more free time in our house, obviously. The kids are not in school. And so when you have three boys and they're busy making noise and spreading Legos, also known as mines, all over the house... Um, you need to sometimes give them some downtime. And so they get to select one show on TV that they can watch every day. And I was surprised that I came home a couple weeks ago and they were all on the couch staring at the TV because um, TVs are fun to stare at. And I sort of looked and I said, well, what show is that? I, I didn't know what I was expecting to see. But the answer I got back was, Dad, this is the Great British Bake Off. Now, I was a little surprised that my kids, my three boys, were watching The Great British Bake Off. But no, it's a great show. I mean, I'm not as into it as they are. But this show is is one of those cooking contest shows. Starts with 12 bakers. They're not professionals. And they go through different trials and baking things. And they end up with a champion. And unlike the American cooking shows where the, the contestants are screamed at and yelled at and they leave crying... This one's set in the countryside of England. They set this beautiful white tent up and miraculously inside this tent are all these beautiful pastel colored cooking sites and everybody's lovely and I can't believe how kind the judges are. I mean, it makes me want to go on this show and I guess it made my sons want to bake because now my sons are all into baking. So every day I walk down and Hudson's got a new creation. So um, Hudson, like me, loves chocolate. This is a German chocolate cake with a homemade chocolate frosting and some chocolate chips on top. By the time I get home from work, it's always half gone already. And uh, our neighbors and friends are eating well. Um, He literally made, I think, three or four chocolate cakes last week. And so lots of baking going on in the Sylvester household. And then, of course, I walk down Saturday morning and my two youngest boys, they're dressed in their chef gear. Hats and aprons. They did have pants on, I promise. (laughs) And I asked permission to show this picture. They're looking at me now. You may regret it future in in life later on, but for now, you said yes. I asked. You said yes. Um, But every Saturday morning, our favorite pancakes are corn muffin pancakes. Let me just tell you, if you haven't eaten a corn muffin pancake, you haven't eaten. So anyway... They are ready to go. We are bakers in our house right now. But the baking show is like your typical show. It's got three stages every episode. 
You know, the nice thing about a TV show is you can predict what's going to be happening. So you got three stages. I don't remember the names of all the stages. I'm just not into the show. I know there's some sort of technical challenge. But the final stage where the bakers have to do their biggest baking every episode, it's called the showstopper. And what the bakers are supposed to do is wow the judges. The judges say, pull out all the stops. Wow us. And that's important if you're trying to make a showstopper. But I tend to watch things and view things through a pastoral lens, a father lens. And I'm thinking, what is this show teaching my kids? And I couldn't help but think that part of what it's enforcing in our society is that we've got to be a wow society. That everything we do has to wow everybody. I mean, you turn on the TV now, you've got fish tanks that are gigantic. They're wowing those. You've got tree houses that cost $75,000, sometimes more. You've got, uh, what's another one of the wow shows that they do? Fish tanks. Oh, pools, backyards, you know, they're all sorts of things. It's like we're now always trying to wow the next person and one-up the next person and everything's got to be bigger and nicer and brighter and better and it's absolutely exhausting. But we're in this culture where it's all wow me and we aim to impress. We just want to hear people say, wow, Rich, that was great. Wow, Rich, what a great cake you just baked. But as we get into scripture, as we deal with the truths of scripture, we learn that living a wow me life is not the way God designed us to live. No, our design is that we should be living a wow God life. That it shouldn't be about living life so that everybody looks at us and goes, wow. That we should be living life because we've looked at God and gone, wow, God. In VBS, there were five truths that we studied together, truths that made us go, wow, God. In fact, I'm counting on you VBS kids to, to hit these cues correctly, right? God made you. God is for you. God is always with you. God will always love you. God made you for a reason. <laughs> I don't know what that noise was up there, but appreciate your enthusiasm, balcony. All right. That these truths lead us to a posture in life where we move from wow me to wow God. I mean, think about that first one. God made you. You know, it's easy for us to be wowed by God sometimes when we look at something in creation, right? I mean, Jamestown Beach right here in our own backyard, that's ranked as one of the top ten places to see a sunset on the East Coast. And it really is something magnificent, you sit there, as the park ranger tells you, park closes in 15 minutes. You are watching the sun set on the James River and the sky turn red and the cypress trees bounce off the horizon in their silhouette and the bald eagle flaps slowly by. And you just say, wow, God. But then you go home and you look in the mirror, the pinnacle of God's creation, and you go, oh, my hair's getting gray. I think I lost some right there. Susie, did I lose that one right there? I think it's going. And we don't look at ourselves and go, wow, 
God. Yet we know he made sheep and he made trees and he made lakes and moon and stars and all of this. And then he did something really good. He made us. When's the last time you sat in those words that Charlie read for us this morning in Genesis and said, wow, God, when is the last time you've read Psalm 139, one of the memory verses our kids memorized and thought that God sewed me together cell by cell just the way he wanted me inside my mom's belly, that I am fearfully and wonderfully made. And you have taken a moment to breathe that in. And said, wow, God, that he is for you, he is with you, that he loves you, and that he made you for a reason. And we believe that these things move us from a wow me mentality to a wow God life. We looked at five different stories during VBS. First, we studied Genesis Then we looked at Rahab and Gideon. Then we looked at Jesus' death on the cross for our sins. Thursday is always Gospel Thursday. And then Friday, we looked at the story of Abigail. And I have to be honest. As I flipped through the VBS curriculum, I said, yeah, Genesis, got that. Gideon, uh uh-huh, Rahab, yep, Jesus, oh, I know that. Abigail, wait a second, Abigail... So if you don't know the story of Abigail well, that's okay. I couldn't remember it that well either. And if you're judging me for that, please don't. I'm sorry. But I'd like to talk about a story that we find in 1 Samuel chapter 25. The story is of Abigail and Nabal. And we're also going to have David in there too. So there's three characters that we need to think about. If we're going to think about what does it mean to live a wow God life? What does it mean to reflect those truths in how we live every day? Because we're called to move from a wow me life to a wow God life. And so one of the questions we may ask is what does that look like? And I believe as we look at 1 Samuel chapter 25 and the story of Abigail and Nabal, we will answer that question clearly because the author wants us to know what it looks like to move from wow me to wow God. See, we're going to learn in 1 Samuel chapter 25 that um, David is on the move in the wilderness of Paran. Now, uh, David is not yet king, but if you're familiar with biblical names, David's one you've probably heard of because eventually he will be king. Samuel at this point has already anointed David king, but Saul is still alive. And I don't want to talk about the tension between Saul and David. That's not important for this story, except to note that it's moved David and 600 of his soldiers to the wilderness of Paran. So David and 600 of his strongest, best sword-bearing soldiers, a mighty force, a force to be reckoned with, is hanging out in the wilderness of Paran. And whenever you hear wilderness in Scripture, you should be thinking just that, a wilderness. It's filled with wild beasts, and it's kind of filled with wild people. Often, thieves and robbers would head to the wilderness because you can hide in the wilderness And you can come out of the wilderness and cause mischief and steal what you want and kill who you want and then move back to the wilderness and be okay. But now David's in the wilderness with 600 men and David's presence is changing the wilderness. 
See, normally the wilderness is filled with these people that are doing bad things, but David and his men are there, and now the wilderness is at peace. There's a sense of security and stability. King David and his army bring peace to the land. And that's good for all the landowners, the people that own sheep and goats and crops there in the wilderness, because the thieves are no longer coming and stealing and running back into the woods. No, the thieves aren't doing anything because King David is there and he brings peace. One of those landowners is another character we need to meet. His name is Nabal. And we know in scripture that Nabal is rich because of this detail that doesn't mean a lot to us today, but meant a lot then. It says in 1 Samuel chapter 25 that Nabal had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats. I don't measure people's wealth on how many sheep and goats they own. But I assure you, in checking some historical realities, that's a lot of sheep and that's a lot of goats. The the writer in 1 Samuel 25 wants us to know that Nabal is rich. Not just a little rich. He is really rich. And because he's really rich, he's really powerful. And because he's really powerful, he has lots of influence. And when Nabal talks, people listen. And when Nabal moves, people follow And when Nabal wants something, people give it to him. He is powerful. He is rich. But there's something else that the author wants us to know. His name. And unless you know your Hebrew, which I had to look this up, Nabal Nabal means fool, worthless, incompetent. Nabal, this rich man who has more sheep than anybody else around, who has more land than anybody else around, this wealthy, powerful, influential man, his name? Fool. I've never met a parent that named their kid Fool. Oh, he's so cute. Let's name him Worthless One. Mm. We don't do that to our kids. I mean, sometimes we call our kids fools, but we don't name them Fool. How did he get this name? I doubt his parents gave him this name. No, I bet he lived into this name. I bet that, as the text says, Nabal was a cheat, that he, he was mean, he was nasty, he was arrogant. And I bet the world just started calling him fool. And you know what? I don't think Nabal cared. I think he sort of wore it as a badge of honor. They call me fool, and I'm rich. It's an interesting dynamic that the author wants us to know that this man's name is Fool because he's going to live up to his name once again. Because the author tells us that it is the season of shearing their sheep. So imagine 3,000 sheep, their wool's getting real long, their coat's really big. I mean, you've ever gone to CW and you see those sheep and they're all kind of gross looking, I'm not going to lie. They're all dirty, but they're, they got so much wool on them, it's like 100 degrees out and they're like... So imagine, there's kids in the room, I got to keep them going, you know. So imagine that 3,000 sheep are ready to be sheared. That's a lot of wool. And so the shepherds bring all the sheep back to the homestead. And the owner, Nabal, brings in shearers, specialists. And they go to work, cutting the sheep, taking all the wool off the sheep. And this is the most dangerous time for a sheep owner. Because if you wanted to steal a sheep... 
If you wanted to steal wool, it's really hard to take a live sheep and run. You know, we've tried it in Williamsburg a few times. Just kidding. But you, you don't grab a live sheep and go. No, if these guys, if the robbers want to steal wool, they're going to wait for the shearing season. And after the shearers stack all that wool into those big sacks, they're going to break into the barn and they're going to run with a sack filled with 10 or 15 sheep's worth of wool. And so the shearing season was the most dangerous season. But not with David around. Because David has brought peace. David has brought stability. David has brought safety and security. And Nabal's prophets soar. He doesn't lose an ounce of wool to any robbers. Well, David, knowing this, says, hey, I need some help. Ten guys. And he grabs ten men. He says, hey, I need you to go to Nabal and I need you to say something like this. Peace, Nabal, peace, right? Because when warriors show up at your door, you don't know what's going on. Peace, Nabal, peace to your home, peace to all that you have. David wants their message to Nabal to be one of peace, not one of intimidation, but peace. You got that? It's peace. I'm making sure you hear that. So he shows up with a message of peace and he says, hey, We've been watching out in the wilderness. We've been keeping your sheep and your shepherds and your shearers and your goats and your land and your people safe. We've bought peace. Can you, can you give us something? You know, we got 600 guys. Can you throw together some food real fast? Don't go out of your way. Just grab something that's close by. It doesn't have to be a lot. We would just love something so we can keep our guys fed. And what does Nabal do? Oh, he lives up to his name. And he says... David? David who? These are my sheep and my goats and my land. In fact, the author uses, make sure that Nabal uses the words I, my, me, and mine almost every other word for a few verses. My sheep, my this, my that, mine, my, mine, mine. Nabal doesn't believe that God made him. No, he believes that he made himself. And he is all about, wow, me. And he says to David's men, get lost. It's mine. David's men go back to David and of course they relay this message and David gets angry. In fact, he doesn't just say, go back and do something. He says, I need 400 of you. That's a lot of guys. Grab your swords. I'm grabbing mine. We're going. We've brought peace and stability and Nabal is rejecting us. Oh, judgment is coming his way. And David takes an oath and he says, I will make sure that Nabal and every man that works for him, that is his descendant, that lives on his land, every man connected to him will die and the legacy of Nabal will be no longer. Well, in the midst of crisis, the author introduces us to a new character, Abigail. Abigail is described as beautiful and smart She is a wise woman. Her name is the exact opposite of fool. Her name, the joy of the father. The father's joy. And she's going to live up to this name. Knowing that David is coming to bring judgment on her husband in the house of Nabal. She gathers her maidservants and her manservants. And she says, quick, kill some sheep. Prep them for cooking. Grab some grain. Fig 
I need fig cakes and raisins and we need to do it all and load it up on these donkeys and they load the donkeys full of food and grain and sheep and figs and raisins and they, she jumps on the donkey herself and she rides under the cover of the mountains and the hills. She doesn't tell her husband and she meets David in God's perfect timing. David coming with judgment for Nabal is met by Abigail. And she jumps off her donkey and she buries her face in the dirt before his feet. And unlike Nabal, who only used words like me, my, mine, and I, Abigail says, Lord, 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 Lord. And she begs David. And she says, David, I didn't know your servants came. Nabal was wrong. I was wrong. Please forgive me. Take these sheep Take this grain, take these figs and raisins, take it all. Please let God bring judgment, not you. Please let him live. I am sorry. We are sorry. Please forgive me. And David, impressed by Abigail, takes all that she has brought and says, come on, guys, let's go back to camp. The author wants us to know something because the story doesn't end there. No, 10 days later, Nabal hosting a feast for himself. Another wow me reality for Nabal, a feast for himself. God kills him and he dies celebrating himself. But Abigail, Abigail, now a widow, is sent a messenger by David. And David says, Abigail, You are a woman of great beauty and wisdom. Would you come and be my wife and be queen in the kingdom? See, the author wants us to know this reality that a wow me life leads to death, but a wow God life leads to life in the kingdom with him. As we read this story As we hear about Nabal and Abigail, you know, there's part of me that just wants to go, oh man, I'm so glad that I can be like Abigail. But the truth is, is I'm a Nabal. We all are. If we're honest with ourselves, we are all wow me kind of people. And without Jesus, judgment's coming. See, this morning, we're going to celebrate communion because something amazing happened Because our God who made us and who loves us knew that we were all Nabals, knew that judgment was coming. And so he sent a savior, Jesus, who got on a donkey, just like Abigail, who rode into Jerusalem. And even though death and judgment was coming upon him, he took it instead of giving it to us. And instead of grabbing lambs from the flock to sacrifice, he became the sacrificial lamb in our place and died on the cross And took our judgment so that we could become Abigail's. Because the truth is, we're all Nabal's. And until we believe this, and until we give our lives to Jesus Christ, and say thank you for taking my judgment upon yourself. We're just Nabal's. When we do that, we become Abigail's. And our purpose in the world is to do as she did and present the truth of Jesus Christ to the world around us 
so that they too can move from wow me to wow God. God made you. God is for you. God is always with you. God will always love you. God made you for a reason. And Jesus Christ took our judgment because we were Nabals and lets us become Abigails. Wow, God. Will those helping with communion this morning please come forward?